Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. This week we continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. To find studies of other books of the Bible from our archive, you can search our sermon library at thevillagechapel.com resources. These studies, we pray, will help you to think biblically in all categories of life so that we all might be formed more into the likeness of Christ. Now, here's Pastor Jim. So the chapter we call Mark 14 overflows with significant events, especially uh, as we consider the final week of Jesus' life before the cross. Um, we're going to, of course, get to the resurrection, and I'm looking forward to that. But for now, in Mark 14, um, from here and forward, we have the last Passover, which is the first of the Lord's Supper. It's an upper room. And the prediction of Peter's denial. We'll look at that today, both of those things. Uh, we'll also, in the upcoming episodes, look at the agony of Christ in Gethsemane. Garden of Gethsemane, when he prays there, and the disciples uh, keep falling asleep during prayer. And uh, we'll look at the betrayal and arrest of Jesus right there in the garden as well. And um, Jesus dragged before the Sanhedrin, which was the, the ruling uh, Jewish council. And Peter's denial of Jesus, which Jesus predicted would happen, but we can learn so much from each and every one of these events. So I'm looking forward to this episode and the next few along the way. Let me read Mark 14, verses 12 through 31 for today. And here's <clears throat> exactly how it goes. Let me turn to the right page there. There we go. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he himself will show you a large upper room uh, furnished and ready. Prepare for us there. This sounds a lot like uh, right before the triumphal entry when Jesus sends a couple of his disciples off to find the, uh, the colt of a donkey, the foal of a donkey. And uh, it easily could have been set up in advance by Jesus. At the same time, there could be something in sort of the supernatural realm that's going on and making all of this happen exactly the way Jesus predicts that it will happen. Because uh, indeed, verse uh, 16, the disciples went out and came to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. I love that. That's uh, really everything is just as Jesus would say, because he indeed is the son of God. Um, and when it was evening, he came with the 12. As they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And you could have heard a pin drop, I'm sure. I mean, it's quite shocking to think of. Here, these guys have traveled around for three years at least, uh, walking the dusty roads of Israel, 
and uh, watching Jesus as he taught, hear, overhearing the, you know, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, those kinds of teachings, learning from Jesus what it means to pray, what it looks like to pray, and uh, watching Jesus also as he uh, performed all these miracles, displaying his authority, revealing his compassion, uh, arousing curiosity. People were following him by the in the throngs, by hundreds and thousands each and every time he went anywhere. And so here he is with this kind of moment where he's saying, one of you is going to betray me. And uh, that, had to be, that had to be a moment where everybody just stopped. Here's what happened. It says in verse 19, they began to be grieved and to say to him one by one, surely not I. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure he um, wanted to, as he so often did, warn them about the reality, especially the reality of their own weaknesses and proclivities. And here they are. No, that couldn't be me. I couldn't be the one to do that. And here's how they respond. Uh, or this is how he responds to them when they say, surely not I. He responds by saying, it is one of the 12, one who dips with me in the bowl. They used to dip their bread in the bowl and kind of sop up um, whatever the whatever kind of juice they happen to have in the bowl, uh, you know, like for us today in our own day and time, they'd be like, you know, beef bouillon or something like that, or the soup uh, or whatever. And they're, they're using that to dip in the bowl. And the Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Wow. I mean, that's a sweeping statement there. That's a huge statement. Better for you not to have been born before because of what will happen when you betray the Son of Man, Jesus. Well, they move right into, as they're in that upper room, and this last Passover meal has been arranged for, to what we would all call now in uh, sort of, you know, following the New Testament, uh, the Lord's Supper, the institution of this beautiful and wonderful sacrament that's so meaningful um, in a lot of different ways that's true to different streams of the church that practice it differently and respect each and every one of the views. Hasn't always been that way. Um, there sadly was a time when Christians um, got quite upset with one another uh, over uh, their practice or their beliefs concerning the Lord's Supper. Listen to what the scriptures actually say about uh, what we typically would call the Lord's Supper, uh, the Lord's Table, the Eucharist, a word which means Thanksgiving. Um, here's what's said, and you'll, you'll take note, I'm sure. There's not a whole lot here about method, um, but there, there's a lot here about meaning. Um, so th th just listen, and I'll, I'll read uh, uh, this passage on the Lord's supper when Jesus instituted this beautiful sacrament. While they were eating, he took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take it, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, 
I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. (laughs) Now, a lot of people pass right over that last little verse. I can't. Um, After singing a hymn, what hymn would they have sung? Surely one of the Psalms would be my guess, maybe Psalm 115 or uh, one of those Psalms right in in that section of the Psalms. I don't know, though. I'm not sure. Uh, But what fascinates me is the idea of hearing this group of people sing in the upper room. How did it start? Who started it? Did Jesus start it? Um, What did his voice sound like? Was he a tenor or a bass? Um, did he sing in tune, on pitch? Um, yeah, there's just so many questions. I, I know how important singing is to us. Uh, created to sing, um, uh, compelled to sing, uh, as, we, as we often talk about at the Village Chapel, because God is so beautiful, so great, and so generous and kind to us. Our Savior is so wonderful. Uh, but to sing with him, that would have been amazing. I just, I'm fascinated by verse 26. All right, we do have to move on though. Verse 27, uh, they, they're headed for the Mount of Olives now. So they're coming out of Jerusalem. They'll go down a hill a little ways and then uh, across the Kidron Valley, up the hill uh, through the, uh, into the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And uh, wow, that just, mm, that had to be both hard for him to say and hard for them to hear. He's reiterating what he said back at the table. One of you will betray me. And now he is uh, tying to it that the shepherd will be stricken and the sheep will be scattered is drawing again from Old Testament prophecy, connecting um, uh, Jesus to all of these predictions about what would happen to Messiah. Verse uh, 28, but after I have been raised, and here's that word of hope, uh, in all three of Jesus' predictions of his death and his burial, and and he always talks about the resurrection as well. Uh, Chapter 8 has one, chapter 9 has one, chapter 10 has one, and here we have this again. Uh, Jesus doing his best to prepare his disciples for some of the difficult days ahead. What a great leader to do that. Uh, What a selfless leader to do that. Uh, After I've been raised, he gives them that, here's, look through it. You're going to see on the other side, something really beautiful and powerful is going to be done. I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Remember, they're down in the south. They're in Judea now. And they, he's saying, I'll, I'll meet you up in Judea. I'll go up to Galilee and I'll go ahead of you and go there. Now, he's going to appear to some other people uh, in and around Jerusalem. We know that already. But, um, but when he, he, he's also going to be with all of them up there for breakfast on the Sea of Galilee, which is just an amazing uh, event. Peter said to him, this is verse 29, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. (laughs) This is Peter, um, you know, displaying his, uh, I think his passion, yes, to be sure, Um, but yet also uh, revealing, exposing a little bit of his overconfidence. Jesus said to him, 
Truly, I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. Now, again, there had to be a a great pause there. Peter, perhaps in front of all of the other guys, you know, even though all may fall away, I will not. And Jesus saying, now here's the reality. Uh, You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows even twice. Peter kept saying insistently, verse 31, and I'll, I'll stop reading here and make it just a couple points, but Peter kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all were saying the same thing also. So Peter's overconfidence is contagious. And they were all saying, yeah, yeah, me too. You know, that's right, me too. You know, and um, man, here's Jesus just letting them know, listen, guys, it's, you know, it's it's going to be harder, darker than you could possibly imagine. He didn't use those words, but of course, it's implied there. And those of us who have read the rest of the story know what happens. But to... Um, be so overconfident as Peter was. And then as the group, you know, uh, yeah, me too. If he's going to be brave like that, me too, me too. They didn't do that when he got out of the boat and walked on the water to toward Jesus. Uh, but here now, um, they are doing that. They're joining in with Peter's overconfidence. Well, what do we learn here? Um, what can we take away? Just a couple minutes of uh, maybe some some lessons that I think we can see here. Uh, First is just two lessons. First, Judas reminds us to be aware of our capacity for spiritual drift and even treachery and betrayal. Um, In what ways, I have to ask myself from time to time, in what ways am I vulnerable to drift? I was talking with a a good friend last night, actually, about this. And um, we're talking about the things that... um, uh, we sort of relax or or um, lean back on sort of yesterday's manna, if you will, um, and how some of the spiritual disciplines can be easy to do, you know, easy to go to be set aside prayer, um, the reading of scripture, the discipline reading of scripture. For people like me, reading scripture, that isn't what I'm about to preach. In other words, if I'm always reading scripture just so that I can figure out what my sermon is going to be. I'm not really just reading it to allow it to speak to me personally. Um, Yes, I want what I preach and teach to also be something I've learned personally. Uh, But I also need to just be hearing from the Lord. So as I teach through Mark, um, currently uh, at the Village Chapel, we're studying First uh, Kings. So as I teach through those two books, I need to make sure I'm in Proverbs. I need to make sure I'm in Psalms. I need to make sure I'm also uh, reading in Genesis, you know, so that the word itself is speaking to me and the Holy Spirit using it uh, to guide me, to lead me into the truth as Jesus uh, describes what the Holy Spirit does in uh, John's gospel. So in what ways am I, uh, like Judas, vulnerable to drift and even the possibility of um, treachery or betrayal in some way? As we read across the four gospels, you get the idea that Judas was probably quite disappointed in Jesus. Um, Judas wanted Jesus 
to align with a political view is the best I can tell from what we know of Judas Iscariot. Um, he would have wanted Jesus to start a revolt and to run the Romans out of Israel. Um, and there they were in the religious center of Israel, Jerusalem. It's not the Roman capital, but for Jews anyway, it's the holy city. This is the, this is the religious center of Israel. So, um, now was the time is the way Ju- Judas would have felt about it. Uh, especially after that whole, you know, um, uh, you know, triumphal entry of Jesus, all the crowds, the throngs, um, you know, saying things that had messianic overtones to them. And so Judas, I think, was pretty disappointed that Jesus rides in on a donkey instead of on a war horse that, you know, they literally wanted him to go. And so many of them wanted him to come as a political uh, militaristic Messiah. And that's not how he came. Um, If Jesus wasn't going to live up to the agenda that Judas had set, then Judas was going to betray Jesus and at least make a few shekels out of the deal. And we read that really, didn't we, uh, at the beginning uh, there in verse 12 on that first day of unleavened bread and all of that. uh, We read about Jesus preparing for the Passover. And then um, I guess it was before that too, wasn't it? Yeah, Uh, right at the top of chapter 14, that it was that, Passover week, and the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to seize him and to by stealth and to kill him. And now Judas is going to go, of course, and he's going to strike his deal and betray uh, Jesus. In how many ways, I guess is the lesson for us, in how many ways might I try to take matters into my own hands uh, because my fears or my disappointment is telling me that God doesn't really care about what I care about, or that God doesn't really know what he's doing, um, or that God got something wrong, and that's why I'm mad or bitter. Um, uh, where might I fall in in a similar kind of way into drift, like Judas did, in the kind of drift that would be quite harmful to my spiritual life? I think being aware of our capacity for depravity being aware of our vulnerability to sin is really important. Um, there's a, a young lady who's uh, become a Christian apologist. I think she used to be a Christian singer of sorts. Uh, her name is Alyssa Childers, I think is the, is the way you say her last name. Um, I have this quote from her, and I really like it. Only when we grasp how treacherous our sin is can we recognize how beautiful the gift of God's grace is. Um, so I think it's important for us to learn that lesson, to to see how treacherous sin can be, um, to take it seriously like that, and then at the same time, um, stand in wide-eyed wonder at the beauty of God's grace. Second thing I wanted to say this morning out of this particular passage is that Peter uh, and the rest of the disciples, by the time we get to verse 31, who join in the overconfidence, uh, remind us of our capacity for spiritual overconfidence. And I think that, again, a a sober reality that we need to know about. In what scenarios am I dismissing my own capacity for depravity and leading others to do the same? Peter, you know, I don't know if you noticed that, but 
Peter was doing that, and then first, and then they all, yeah, me too, me too. And that happens, I think, a lot of times. I think a lot of us just think when we hear, uh, especially preaching or teaching about sin, about the uh, the dangers and of temptation, all that sort of thing, a lot of us just kind of go, yeah, that's not me. That nah, That's not going to happen to me. So in what ways have I been overconfident and naive about my spiritual vulnerabilities? How many times have I, you know, said, I've got this. I, I, that's not going to happen to me. Leslie Newbigin is a missiologist. He said, the confidence proper to a Christian is not the confidence of one who claims possession of demonstrable and indubitable knowledge. It is the confidence of one who has heard and answered the call that comes from God. Follow me. So we pay attention to what Jesus says. And even if we express overconfidence, if Jesus says, no, 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 it's not like you think, it's not going to be as easy as you think, we need to take Jesus seriously and have confidence in who he is. Thirdly, uh, and finally, Jesus continues to remind us that he loves us, even when we've not loved him with our whole hearts. Um, Judas and Peter are an interesting uh, contrast. And we'll explore that a little bit more as we finish up Mark's gospel. Oh, what a savior. Oh, what a king. He loves us even when we're inconsistent, even when we're overconfident, even when we're drifting. He loves us just as he loved these two men. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your great love for us. Help us to rest in it, to trust in you, and to rest in your love today. Um, and Lord, as we go through the day and various temptations present themselves, um, especially the ones where we think we've got it, the ones where we think that we can't fall in that way, um, uh, just remind us, Lord, that you are the one that holds us fast and that we can trust you in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At the Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.